Welcome to PostBurnout.com interviews. My name is Aaron Kavanagh and I'm the website's founder and editor-in-chief. PostBurnout.com is a culture website dedicated to venerating burnt-out artists the world over. Our interviews are mainly recorded to be transcribed, but every now and again we release the audio in a series we call PostBurnout.com interviews. If you enjoy what we do, be sure to subscribe. In this edition of PostBurnout.com interviews, we speak with Daniel, the front man for the Irish metal and hard rock band Rise or Fall. He talks about the Irish metal scene, forming the band, getting turned on to classic rock albums as a kid, the band's new single Claim the Kingdom, the lack of metal festivals in Ireland, and more. Hello. Hey Daniel, how's it going? How are you keeping, Aaron? How are you keeping? How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Um, I won't take up too much of your time. Let's uh, add a few questions to ask. Um, yeah, I guess the first thing I wanted to talk about was actually just um, sort of formation of the band. Like, how did you guys kind of uh, get together? So it's been a process getting together, uh, finding the right people for the right positions in the band. We've gone through, like, so many personnel changes, you know. Um, you know, I'm at the age where, like, everybody's priorities are constantly shifting and obviously you know yourself like being a musician is it's like having a second full-time job at the best yeah. of times so um yeah right now uh we have guys there who are you know lifetime lifelong musicians dedicated to the craft you know they've been in multiple bands and projects before um and we all just kind of gradually found our way together um for this particular you know project um it's been a blast with them some of them i've known my entire adult life others kind of only i came across them maybe four or five years ago and even recently this year we've had the addition of our rhythm guitarist um and now lead guitarist um dan who you know has been a wonderful addition to the team so yeah it's been like a it's been a journey getting together were you uh, involved in projects yourself or or um it's just kind of like uh, when you're first fans or like what's your kind of history personally yeah, so I've been playing live bands since I was, I think, well, since I was like 16, you know, you kind of get your first bands together and you start playing your first couple of songs at the time, whatever was relevant, you know, when I was younger, um, maybe the likes of Arctic Monkeys and the Rock and Tours and, you know, then playing some classic rock, like, you know, the old Tin Lizzy classics. And that'd be kind yeah. of the first bands you'd you'd be in and you'd play all like the local town stuff and play all the local gigs. Um then I moved to Dublin uh, when I was 18 for college and I met up with other musicians there. Funnily enough, the first band I was in, um, I was buying an amplifier of um, someone who became a very close friend of mine um, who was a singer in one of the bands I joined. And uh, yeah, he just invited me along and said, you know, we're looking for a guitar player if you want to, you know, show up. I did. And I ended up being in that band for a few years and, you know, we played everywhere that would have us and you know, really enjoyed that. And actually the bass player that was in that band is the bass player that's currently with us now. So there you go. That's kind of one of those, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you find someone and then you hold on to them and you just don't let go. What kind of got you interested in music yourself? And like, what were you kind of um, sort of emulating and and kind of what made you want to pick up a guitar? What made you want to sing? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, I guess I'd put it on, I blame my dad probably for the music thing. It's his fault. Um, he used to have these classic rock LPs um, that he used to play on rotation, um, you know, back in the days. So you're talking like old Led Zeppelin records, um, Black Sabbath, you know, ACDC, just constantly on rotation all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I got really obsessed with uh, Led Zeppelin in particular, Led Zeppelin 4 being the one that he put on all the time. And um, yeah, I suppose it just kind of grew from that. I remember he had a, I think it might have been a tape, like a <laughs> VHS tape of uh, Song Remains the Same, which is like a live concert 
um, from Zeppelin. And yeah. I used to watch that as a kid and go, well, Jimmy Page is like the coolest guitarist <laughs> ever. And that's literally the only interest I had was guitar. So yeah. learning guitar at the time. Um, so, yeah, I went begging and I said, oh, I'll cut the lawn for the next 10 years if you buy me this guitar, you know. Um, at the time, there was none of the stuff that is kind of available to musicians now. You know, like you could go on the Internet and learn from a ton of YouTube videos and, you know, instructors that are available online. Um, at the time, you literally had to go into somewhere like a guitar store and learn how to play the instrument. So that's what I did. Um I learned from the local guy, learned all the, the basic chords and Wonderwall and everything else <laughs> that you had to learn, you know, at the time. Did you start with, sorry, acoustic or electric? Oh, absolutely. Acoustic first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. I, used to, I used to have this really, I think, I think my mother bought my first guitar for me and it was like a three quarter size nylon string. Okay. Uh, it's, it'd be a stretch to call it a, a guitar per se. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I don't yeah. them. That was like my first one too. <laughs> I think it's a rite of passage, you know, it's like, it's yeah. like you have to have one of these guitars that you just can barely tune. Well, it's economical because um, like I was, they were like the ones I could afford with my own money because they were like 50 quid or something. So it was yeah. like, it was handy to have. Exactly. And I remember my mother at the time been like, you know what? You've picked up a lot of stuff and dropped a lot of stuff because you're at that age, you're trying to figure out what, what works for you. You know, like all you pick up all these interests and hobbies and then you just drop them six months later. So at that point, yeah. she was just like, this is just another thing. You're just going to pick it up and you're going to drop it. So you know what? I'll get you one, but it's going to be within budget. Um, And then I had to prove myself. I had to go into the lessons. I had to learn the songs. I had to, you know, basically show that this is something I'm going to keep before I went begging for my first electric guitar. Then when actually when you made the transition to electric guitar, did you find that because like you get comfortable, at least it's my experience, but you get comfortable kind of with acoustic and you're like, okay, I know the chords. I know kind of how, how to play a little bit. Um, so you, you kind of graduate to electric guitar and then there's like, you know, you have to worry about things like tone and the amp and like, you know, making sure uh, there's just a lot more to consider. And then obviously, you know, effects pedals come into the mix and stuff. And then it's like, there's just a lot you have to kind of concern yourself with now in terms of the tone you're trying to create. I found it very disheartening when I, I got my first like electric guitar and I just could not replicate any of the tones that I hear on the, the music I was listening to. Um, yeah, I was wondering what your kind of experience was with that. It's a lifelong journey and I'm still learning and it's, I think it's getting even more complex than it was back then, like with all the digital modelers that are out now. So, yeah. you know, like I've, I I play around with them, you know, the Helix stuff, um, which is even more intricate than it was back in the day. you got to worry about things like EQ. I never had to worry about EQ back in the day. I just had everything, <laughs> you know, dialed to 10 and yeah. leave it at that. It's fine. So it depends on how deep you want to get into it. You know, I, I wish I was sort of one of these musicians who don't obsess over this stuff because I think it can actually interrupt the whole point of playing music if you get too finickety about things like that um but yeah like when i got my first you know proper electric guitar it did not sound the way i wanted it to sound you know and um, that's been a lifelong journey i remember buying my first pedal and i was like this is muddy it's just not doing what it's supposed to do um and the frustration that was kind of is it my playing is it something i'm doing wrong um but you just have to keep at it you know you just have to keep playing keep learning um and over time it's like well, you know it's not me actually you know there is the gear and i totally wholeheartedly blame guitar magazines you probably remember them from back in the day as well the likes of total guitar and um <laughs> and guitarist um and you see these amazing like you just drool over the guitars like you just be like oh my god and then you learn kind of what your heroes were playing and why they sound that way and then the cost attached to them yeah. and that's a dream of course is kind of getting to own one of these so that's been like a lifelong thing for me um, then when it came to kind of rise or fall, um, 
like um what, how do you think this band kind of like differed maybe to, in comparison in comparison to other projects you were involved with so i personally feel like every band or project by its very nature is going to be super different because it is the kind of accumulation of every single person in that room yeah so if you go into a room with three other folks it's going to sound entirely different to what this band would sound like and even through the last couple of years where like i said we've done a couple of different um changes with you know our own members um each one has sounded different and brought new stuff to the table um so i think you know music in general it's it's just a case of well what is everybody bringing what's their what's their tone what's their attitude what's their expression and that's what's really interesting about music it's a collaborative thing it's like music is not like an isolated experience for the most part particularly if you're playing in a band there's so many pieces to it and then you go beyond the actual playing of the music to production and then it's who the producer is that you're working with and what they bring to the table and you know you collaborate with them and then you come in with an idea and they cook it and it sounds even better than what you thought it could be because they can hear something else um so yeah it's it's everything is different it's always different yeah and because uh, i know like with this project there's like a huge uh, kind of grunge influence in fact i've seen the vocals i see a lot of like or uh, rather i hear a lot of like uh kind of chris cornell i see i hear a lot of like you know uh lane's uh lane staley and and you know it, it, there's that kind of grunge uh overtone to it um and it, it is a very eclectic mix i mean it, it feels like it really feels like it reminds me of like you know listen to like a teenager's record collection kind of comprised into one project <laughs> um I, yeah <laughs> I, I'm, thank you so much that's like a, a huge uh compliment to um to be even uh told that you can hear that through what i do i'm not a singer per se like i said i grew up and i i play guitar and i've only recently you know in the last five years tried to add vocals to you know my offering with bands um that's been a journey in itself you know learning how to uh try and sing and contribute that singers are hard to find they're really really difficult to find yeah. so you know if you can't find one then you just have to try and do it yourself and um yeah they are definitely kind of the the guys who you know i've looked to over the decades of listening to music and creating music and gone i really like what they do it's always raw it's always emotional there's always melody you know it's that's my style I, I, you know i i play okay it's hard rock and metal maybe but i feel like i have to approach everything in a melodic way yeah. And I think that's coming off the back of listening to those guys for sure. And yeah, what's interesting is like you were talking about it, like it's melodic, but it's also very gravelly too. It's this very like um, beautiful mix of kind of, uh, I think like with the grunge kind of vocals, the, the kind of popular grunge vocalists, we, you know, also if you want to bring people like Kirk Cobain and Eddie Vedder as well, there's this, um, there is this kind of concern for melody and for harmony, but like also um, it's not pretty necessarily. It, it, it's very um, flawed purposely flawed um yeah and i think that's like something that um is actually quite approachable as as a vocalist especially kind of when you're when you're learning vocals because i think um i don't know it, it's hard to explain but like because i've i've been in bands where the singer's kind of been like that sometimes i've done like backing vocals and stuff and, got, and kind of been emulating that style and uh what i think is like interesting is that like it's actually it's easy to kind of replicate, but it's hard to master if that makes sense. It's, it's not, you know, you still have to have um, an understanding of tone and an understanding of, of uh, how to use your voice. You know what I mean? What was that journey kind of like for you? I'd say for anybody in the room, it was a tired experience for, you know, for working with me. Um, yeah. I remember like uh, going to rehearsal rooms up in Dublin just by myself 
for a long time and trying to emulate, you know, people who do that sort of broken, gravelly type of tone. And uh, I would say there were people calling, you know, the guards going, what's going on there? I, this is a wellness check. I just need to make sure they're okay in there. <laughs> so like, you know, I apologize to every neighbor I've had for the last five years because they've had to tolerate uh, me trying to find something in there. Um, <laughs> but you're 100% correct in that. Like the, the approach for me is always to, um, you know, emulate those guys who aren't perfect. The, the tone is not super clean. Yeah. Um, that's definitely kind of, you know, my own personal style. Um, I've tried to do covers of different acts trying to find how they do it you know even like the likes of bon scott or whatever and trying to figure out how, how does he deliver that you know or brian johnson you know any of those yeah. classic rock vocalists how do they do that thing um and of course chris Cornell being a huge one you know for that yeah it's 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 been it's been a process i'm i still consider you know where i'm at now to be very uh foundational in terms of my delivery and it's something I, i'm really excited to work on for the next year yeah, I'm um, seeing if I can build a you know build on the work that I've done so far and you know do something interesting. The question is actually, do you, do you find um, that the kind of music uh, by the band is set by uh, your vocal tone, or or is it more so um, the band has um, uh, like the the kind of instrumentation and you're trying to match their tone? I think that's really interesting. That's a really interesting question. Um, I think the first thing that happens, I can only talk you through kind of the process as I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, aside from somebody bringing a song that's already kind of, you know, ready to go, um, the process is usually I'd write a riff. So, you know, the riff for in particular, this new single that's coming out, uh, Claim the Kingdom, mm-hmm. it was a riff before it was anything else. And the riff was inserted into many different versions of what the eventual song ended up being. So, you know, I'd send it over to the lads. The lads would say, oh, not great. Send it back, send it back. All of that, the vocals were not even in consideration at that point. You know, it's finding the song, you know, so the music tends to come first and that kind of, to an extent, dictates the attitude of the vocal. Um, So I would say, yeah, it's riff first, then we find it in the song and then we say, okay, well, the vocals have to match that. And, you know, that's just my process anyway. Well, actually, you mentioned the new single "Clarity Kingdom," and um, what I, I think is interesting when I was listening to it is that um, I, I think personally this is your most sort of brutal, most heavy song. Yeah, I mean, a lot of your your songs brought this kind of um, uh, followed the the sort of structure of um, uh, kind of quiet uh, verses, loud choruses, kind of, and this one just seems like you know from the beginning it's it's like brutal. It's it, like the tone is set from the beginning and it kind of maintains that for the entire four minutes of its of its time. Um yeah, I was wondering if maybe you could talk a bit about the kind of musical change in, in this song and kind of just what the the song's about in general because you know I don't want to uh I don't want to impose interpretations. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So with that particular track, I guess it's growing in confidence. And I think that's uh that's been part of why I'm so excited about this track in particular. We've kind of been on a journey to try and find what, what do we sound like, you know, and one of the things that I would listen to, um, you know, our back catalog and kind of feel is that we haven't quite found how we sound. Mm-hmm. I think this new single is the first time we sound like how I hear, you know, us sounding long-term, like this is it. We found kind of the approach um so yeah that's that's kind of why I'm, I'm so excited about this uh particular release it's the first time i felt like each member of the band 
has found their rhythm, has found their groove, has found their particular place in the music. Um, and I think that just comes from time. You know, it's just it's, it's just playing with the guys, figuring out what each person brings to the table, what each person is capable of, you know, and uh, and working on it. It's been a it's been a great process, and this is the way it's going to go, you know, forward as well. So obviously, I know what the next single is going to sound like in the single after that because we have all that stuff written, and it's this is the direction it's going, you know. So it's fantastic to hear coherence. I suppose is the word I'm looking for. It's fantastic yeah. to hear coherence within what we're going to do um, in the future. What's sure. the uh, song about, like in terms of um, uh, the lyrics? Then, yeah. So again, this is just um, again, it's open to interpretation. I don't like. Uh, forcing someone to take out of a song you know because okay. I, listen, I listen i listen to like old classic songs and and they mean different things to different people and i love that i love that music is open to interpretation yeah. you know it's one of those beautiful things from my perspective it was mostly just about disillusionment you know with kind of everything that is around you the structures that are there to support you but they weren't necessarily built for you okay. um so it's kind of like just uh, kind of avoiding falling into empathy or you know avoiding kind of being disengaged with everything and instead kind of attempting to put your foot down and kind of saying, you know what, let's, let's take back a lot of the control over that. Let's place people there who we want in these sort of positions. So that can mean anything. And I mean, if you want to apply it to, you know, if you work in the corporate world, if you work, you can talk about, you know, the, uh, politics, you could talk about anything. Um, so we leave it vague. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Apply yeah, it to no. whatever suits. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then like you, you're kind of mentioned that this is kind of like setting the tone for where you want to go uh, forward. I mean, obviously for the last, uh, I think about three years, you've been uh, consistently releasing singles uh, periodically. Um, now, do you think it is kind of the time to have consideration for a larger release, be it an EP, be it an album, or are you still just kind of content to do singles for the meantime? It's it's that's it's a funny question because you know it depends on you know, kind of what the music industry wants right now. And I'm not convinced they still want, let's say, albums or longer EPs. Um, I'm not sure, you know, like obviously the plan for us right now is to release single after single after single, group them together, put them into an EP, which we will launch um, next year at a launch gig in Dublin. So the idea right now is just to release, 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 and then group them together and put them out then. Um yeah, it's just the music industry has changed and it's evolved. Like if you were to ask this question 10 years ago, we wouldn't have released a single by single by single. Yeah. No way. Like you, you'd wait or you'd put out an EP um, or even an album if you could. Um, but yeah, it's changed so much. And you know yourself, like it's it's all about being consistent with releases. That's kind of what you have to do these days. Yeah, that's true. Because like um, it, it's a very strategic thing where... Um, you know, it kind of keeps you in people's mind when it's like a new single every couple of months. It's like, oh yeah, I, I like this band. I'm going to listen to it. Whereas if you put an album out, it's kind of like a one and done. And it's like, you know, oh, I'll, I'll hear them again, maybe in like a year or something. <laughs> so it kind of keeps, it kind of keeps you in people's mind, but like with the perpetual kind of releasing of singles. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, there's, there's pressure with that as well, you know, cause you have to, you know, queue up these singles for release every, you know, every couple of months, every three months, if you can. Um, and with that, then there's all the content creation side of it, which we didn't have to necessarily worry about when I was much, much, much younger. Yeah. Um, so it's a whole new ball game for bands. And I see it constantly um, about how particularly independent artists have to go out and do all this stuff themselves, you know. Yeah. So they have to decide on their content release schedule, put all the effort into the music and the production and, you know, mastering and, and all that side of things. But then they also have to create all the visual content because that's super duper important. 
Um, and then they have to worry about once they've all that visual content there, like the music video um, and the reels and all this sort of stuff. They also then have to promote it constantly on their socials. Um, yeah. It's not easy. <laughs> it's really yeah, not no, easy. It's never ending. And like that's yeah. every every musician now is doing that. Like every musician. Yeah, because it's like it's not enough just to play music anymore. It's like you have to do everything <laughs> you have to do like the social media management you have to do uh you know the pr i mean there are like obviously um you know avenues to go to kind of help and i actually think one thing that's kind of cool about the metal scene in ireland is that um although heavy metal might have the kind of um idea of it being sort of more of a countercultural sort of specific thing i don't think there's like a, a pocket in ireland that doesn't have some interest in metal like metal bands can tour the entire nation and have people turn up you know, it's it's very. I forget which band it was, but I saw. Uh, I, I was following like I think it was a British metal band who were touring Ireland, and they were doing like a pretty extensive tour, and it was just cool because like they were playing these like really weird spaces and like just pubs or just like social clubs or whatever. Just and it was really cool because like it was just like there was always people there. It's not just like in the big cities, and even though you think like a metal is perhaps a bit more of a niche on, or even though it has mainstream appeal, like you go to something like download festival is just packed or rock and ring or one of these like big, you know, hell fests or whatever across Europe. Um, it's, it's, it is obviously a massive genre. And I think like, it's, it's kind of cool. Like in Ireland that it kind of affords you a lot of opportunity. I couldn't agree more. And Ireland in particular has a like plethora of amazing metal bands, rock and metal. Um, we're so lucky. Uh, one of the highlights of last year, was the return to gigging and getting to go out and gig again and the the amount of friends that you make along the way, other bands who were absolutely incredible. Um it's you learn so much, you know, you learn so much just by watching these other bands and and you know, um it's such a welcoming you know, community, I guess is you know, so if somebody's putting on a show, you get the call, do you want to support? Or, you know, if somebody's doing like a an event, you know, so definitely there's like a, a, a massive Irish metal and rock community. Um, so we're blessed really. Um, I think as well, the fact that rock and metal for a long time, I felt kind of subsided with the mainstream, you know, like it wasn't really the popular thing. And I can really see a resurgence happening um, where it's crossing over again, where there's this kind of new kind of metal wave, I guess, um, happening. Um, and it's incredible. It's incredible to see. I think it's actually an interesting thing in the Irish kind of festival scene that there's such a void for like a metal festival here because every country in Europe has it pretty much. Um, and it's like, you know, you see like when a band like, say, for example, Metallica plays here, they can just play like Slain or they can play. Yeah, and I know they're one of the bigger examples, but like, you know, there's so many bands who sell out like the arena and stuff like that. Like you could totally put on like a 50,000 person gig and have it sell really well. And then that's not even including people who travel over from like the UK and mainland Europe to see it as well. Um, yeah, I, I always think that's like a, a really huge void that um, kind of the bigger um, uh, promotion companies are kind of missing out on. And it's not something that kind of smaller promotion companies and there's great metal promoters across this country, but just realistically not feasible. You'd need millions of euros to, to, to be able to do it. Um, but yeah, I always thought that was like just such a weird kind of gap in the market. Yeah, I I, I, I was hoping uh, there was a festival announced a couple of years back. Sunstroke, I think was Sunstroke, the, yeah, yeah. And it seemed to be no like, more. 
Yeah. So that was, I, I felt like that, oh, great. Like that's going to fill that gap. But then that kind of dropped off the face of the earth during the, the pandemic. Yeah. It was like, unfortunate because COVID happened and then they just never tried to re, rebring it back. Yeah. It was, it's strange because Sunstroke was a festival back in the 90s, but it was more like just kind of an alternative rock festival. They, they only did it, I think, two years and then they announced that it. it was great. It was like it had basically a download lineup. But it makes sense. Like, cause like, you know, you look at something like Electric Picnic and, and they kind of, start around the same time as writing a lead so they just kind of like nick a bunch of artists from that you could totally have a festival here that's you know around the same time as download and just nick some of their performers for that or hellfest or any of these like festivals across europe i mean these metal bands are are on the continent and then obviously you know local acts give them the opportunity to play as well somebody's missing a trick there <laughs> it really is really? Really, like so massive <laughs> yeah couldn't um, agree more yeah um so I think I've asked everything I have to ask. I, I guess one final thing I'll just ask you is kind of like, what's the band's kind of future plans? Uh, what's your kind of aim and goals? And, and yeah, uh, what do you have coming up, I guess? Yeah, so we're super excited to, again, uh, keep releasing new tracks, um, hopefully every, you know, three months for the next while. Um, the idea is that we do pack the models an EP for a launch gig in May in Dublin. Um, that'll be kind of the first real kind of headline show we've done Um so we're super excited to get that all locked in. We should have more information on that kind of hopefully for the next release. Um, again, we'd be turning our eye further afield. We'd want to play the UK. You know, that's kind of a, a short-term goal of ours as well, short to medium term, is get over and, and play some of those amazing venues that, you know, we see a lot of uh, fantastic metal acts play. Um, so putting together a tour in the UK as well would be a great way to uh, to kind of start 2024. Actually, what's kind of cool though um, being from Ireland is that even though it's like an island nation we're so, like our proximity to both the mainland and the UK is like just pretty much perfect for like touring artists in, in a way like you know um, it's not like we're Iceland where we're very isolated and it's difficult to get to it's like you know we're actually kind of right in the middle it's like you know a couple of hours on the ferry either way either to France or Spain or to the UK and it's like so I think it's like such a feasible um, thing to do like to, to, for, for Irish acts to actually get over to the UK and vice versa you know yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. I think, you know, Ireland has a extremely long history of, you know, people going abroad to play shows and expand their, their networking base and their fan base, you know, in other countries. Um, we tend to do that really, really well. Um, we tend to export things fairly well because, you know, there's always a market for, you know, there's always a market for something as long as it's good. Yeah. Um, but I do agree that internally, you know, we could definitely put on something massive for, you know, the Irish bands here that have been working so hard and, um, something like a sunstroke would be awesome. Yeah, you know, it would be kind of cool. I'm just seeing this now, actually. But uh, if you get like a, a collaboration of Irish like metal acts, and then bring them to the UK and bring them to Europe as like a, a, as like a package sort of thing, um, so like you know, it's like see five Irish bands in one night or some shit. Oh, sign me up. Sign me up. <laughs> That'd be sick. I think like yeah, someone should someone should get on that. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> someone has to. Someone has to earn. You know, no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get right on that. <laughs> um, thanks very much for your time, and I, I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with the single. Thank you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate um, you know, uh, coming in and chatting. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you for listening to that episode of PostBurnout.com interviews. We hope you enjoyed, and stay tuned for more.